Hi, this is Dave Olson. I'm the senior leader of Heartland Church located in Ankeny, Iowa. I hope the following message challenges, encourages, and ultimately changes you. Thanks for joining us. All right, let's get into the word this morning. We are going to uh, receive communion at the end. I believe the Lord has something for us this morning. Uh, last week, we were looking at that, the ironic blessing where God commanded Moses to command Aaron to release something over the Israelites. He said, I want you to bless them. I want you to do this. And, and you and your sons, the, the Levitical priests, would release this blessing. And it was this, that the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And uh, there, there's the last part I don't remember. I know that's terrible. My, my, give you peace. But there's another peace in there before. The Lord make his countenance to shine upon you and give you peace. That's it. Hallelujah. It takes a village, right? So anyway, it takes a village to preach the word around here. So uh, it's, it's, a powerful, it's a powerful blessing. And it just struck me that God commanded Moses to share that with Aaron and commanded Aaron to share it with the children of Israel and they were going to release this blessing. Even though God wanted to bless them, he was going to use Aaron and his sons to release that blessing. It begs the question, this is not for today, but I just want to plant this seed in your, your mind this morning. It begs the question, if God wanted to bless them, why did he have Aaron have to release it? Why did Aaron have to say, the Lord bless you? If God already wanted to do it, why didn't God just do it? Why did he go through this, you know, this, this middleman of Aaron? And it's because that is the way that God's kingdom works. God works through people. And we often think, well, you know, we're, we're praying for God to meet our need, but God wants to meet our need through another brother or sister. And often we can, we can end up refusing the provision of the Lord because we want it directly from him, and that's not how he works. That's a sermon for another day. but uh, So he, he commands them to pray that. And we were looking at that interesting phrase we see show up numerous times in the Bible. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. And there's that fascinating picture of God's shining face. We see in other passages, there's a number of them throughout scripture where it says, I will turn my face from you. I will hide my face from you. There's a glorious passage in Isaiah where it says, I hid my face from you, but only for a season. And now I will turn my face towards you. And it's a, it's a picture of restoration. And that whole picture, that, that analogy, that beautiful picture of God's face shining on us is a picture of the favor of God and the goodness of God. And it ties in with the 2 Corinthians chapter 4 passage where Paul talks about the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ Jesus being shed abroad in our hearts. And we looked at that last week, how uh, sin blinds us. It, it puts a veil over our eyes. Paul said that the God of this world, if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those to whom the God of this world has blinded their minds. They're unbelievers. It says he's blinded the minds of unbelievers. But that's not just a category of person. You can be blinded in areas of unbelief in your life. And so we need continual revelation. It's another fascinating study that we've looked at before and we'll continue to look at, I'm sure, in the coming days, that there is this thing of God concealing and revealing, or there is uh, God reveals things and then there's mysteries. So there's the concealing. God has his mysteries. There's things he intentionally hides from us, which are eventually for us. As a matter of fact, the very word parable means to throw alongside. The idea is that you throw something alongside something that we don't understand. We don't understand the spiritual because God's ways are higher than our ways. And so God throws the physical 
Jesus tells parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a farmer who went out to sow seed. We understand farming, or if we don't, we can, can at least study that because it's accessible to us. And in studying farming, we get an insight. That becomes the avenue through which we get insight into the kingdom, which we don't understand. And so that's the idea of parables. The, the whole idea, the whole uh, concept of a parable is to reveal. But yet when Jesus talks about why he teaches in parables in Matthew 13 and Mark, I want to say it's Mark 4 and Luke 8, the disciples asked Jesus, they said, why do you teach in parables? And he said, so that hearing they may not hear and seeing they may not see. Now I don't know about you, but that's troubling to me. That's troubling that the Lord intentionally taught in a way that you and I would not understand. And he did it precisely so we wouldn't understand. And if you look in that parable, the one I'm alluding to, Matthew 13, Luke 4, or Mark 4 and Luke 8, it's the parable of the soils. The very first type of soil Jesus talks about is those who do not understand. It's, it's the, stone, or the uh, trodden path, and the idea is that the word, the seed, is thrown by the farmer, the teacher, on the path, the human heart, and this particular soil, he talks about four of them, but the first one is the trodden path, and it's, been, it's had so much traffic on it that it's, it's stamped down so the seed cannot penetrate and therefore can't take root, and therefore can't bring forth fruit. And he says that is a type of the human heart. There are certain believers who sit under the preaching and the teaching of the word that listen to the words but leave unchanged because they did not understand. And that type of heart is the the heart that's had a lot of traffic on it. You and I can have a lot of theological, religious traffic in our life. And the affairs of this world can actually stamp down our hearts so that we really don't receive the word. We don't understand. That's a troubling thing. But then you add to it that Jesus on the heels of this teaching, talking about there are certain hearts like that, the disciples say, Jesus, why did you teach us like that? He said, precisely so you would hear and not understand. What is going on with that? Why would God teach in such a way that we don't understand? The disciples came to him and they said, in those passages, that Jesus, what is it that you are saying? And he unpacked what he, what he was trying to teach them. And he, he said it, this to them. They said, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom have been given to you. And then he unpacked it. In other words, they didn't just understand it when he said it. The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom weren't given to those who had this enlightenment as he was teaching. It wasn't that there were some people chosen to understand and there are others that weren't. It was their response to the word that made them chosen. What do I mean? It, the, the ones that were chosen to have the revelation were the ones who were not content to not understand and stayed after the meeting and came to Jesus and pulled on his robe and said, we don't understand what you're saying. What does this mean? I'm sorry this morning. I'm, I'm wearing, I've got these tinted sunglasses. I broke my glasses. And these are those transition lens. And so you guys kind of look weird. But I broke my glasses. I bought these and I came home. This is about two years ago. I said, Kath, aren't these cool? And she just looked at me and said, uh, Dave, you know there's a reason those never caught on. <laughs> she said, they're for old people. I said, oh, no, they're not. And then I Googled it and found out she was right. So I'm not trying to be hip and cool this morning. I just broke my glasses, but you guys look weird, you know? So anyway, that, I, I, I digress. So here's the thing. What Jesus is saying is that the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom are way too precious for him to just give them to anybody. So what he does is he baits the hook, throws it out, and tests your hunger. He'll tell you things that you're intrigued by, that you don't understand, and if you're content to not understand, if you're content to sit under the word and just have sat through a sermon and yet not understand, you have gotten the level of revelation you're going to get. You got to hear a sermon you didn't understand. 
But if you're hungry and you come back and you say, Lord, I don't understand what this passage means. I'm more confused than when you started to talk. He looks at you and he says, to you, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom have been revealed. And then he unpacks it. You see, one of the great strategies of the kingdom of heaven is mysteries and revelation. To conceal and to reveal. He'll throw things out. And if you don't have the hunger to press in for it, you will simply, you may be a 30-fold hearer. You may get nothing out of it. Or you may be a 60-fold hearer. Or you might be one of those people that really pursues it and says, I must be a hundredfold hearer. But one of the great strategies of God, one of the great strategies of the kingdom is God will hide things for us. So the very meaning of the word parable has the idea of revealing, but Jesus says, I use it to conceal. So it's a double-edged sword. He conceals and reveals mysteries and revelation. And the Bible is full of mysteries. And some of the, we were talking about this in prayer this week, there are some mysteries that have a release date. There are some things that God holds to a given time in human history. And when he reveals those things, those that have ears to hear that will press in for them are launched into new eras in the kingdom. And those, those revelations are big deals. I'm not talking about new scripture here. I'm not, talking about, uh, a, I'm not talking about a new book of the Bible. I'm talking about fresh revelation on the old book of the Bible. Nobody, if, if I had my leather Bible up here, it would be much more dramatic. You hold it up and let it flop. Nobody has ever understood this book. It just doesn't feel as good. Nobody has understood. But nobody has ever mined the depths of the Bible. We're gonna spend eternity unpacking this thing. So God has revelation for us. There are things hidden that he's trying to bring you on a journey. Let, let's, let's just camp out on that. I just feel some oil on that for us this morning. There are things the Lord is longing. His heart is full. There are things he's longing to share with you. But like he told his disciples at the end of his ministry, I can't give it to you yet because you can't bear it. You can't handle the weight, the, the, the weight of the reality that you will step into. You don't have the internal structure. You have not been instructed. You don't have the information on the inside of you to bear the weight of the reality I want to release you into. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to entice you with hunger and I'm going to incrementally release that to you and I'm going to take you on a journey so I can grow you up so you can be qualified to steward what I'm longing to show you. So the really value, what I'm saying is this, the really valuable things in the kingdom come about by process. The, the, the revelations you get by event, boom, you got it all. Those are great uh, thank you, Jesus. I'm grateful for anything he gives me. But those are not the real valuable things. The real valuable things are a process. That's why he says, ask, seek, knock, and keep on knocking. The idea is to keep on knocking because they're hidden behind lock and key precisely because of their value. And the pursuit creates within you a value system and character that can then steward the very thing you're crying out to understand. And some of you, there's things that you long to understand. Let me give you a secret here. Curiosity is 90% of what hunger for God is all about. If you will stay curious about the things of God, when you Lose your wonder. I'm not just talking about the awe. I'm talking about the, uh, the after effects of the awe that makes you wonder. Lord, what is that? I called Bob Hazlett the other day and I was just processing some things with him from his visit. And I said, Bob, I look at these as case studies. I go back and I begin to ask God questions. Why did I feel that after he left? Why, what was that about? What, what was this? What, why did this come up? Because if we'll examine those things, there are, there are hidden gems underneath the surface. 
They who hunger and thirst shall be filled. Curiosity in the things of God, if you will have those questions and constantly be bringing them to the Lord, you'll find that God will begin to answer those things and he will actually lead you by your hunger, lead you by your curiosity. And you'll turn on the radio and someone will give you a little nugget of the answer. And then you'll get into a conversation. You'll pick up a magazine. You'll walk through the living room and something will be on the history channel. Boom. And God will lead you. And life becomes this adventure of God unveiling himself if you're hungry. And so God longs to reveal things to us. But he conceals them until the time. He throws them out there. There's a stirring in our heart. I know there's something there, but I don't understand. And that's the hook. That is meant to awaken a hunger in you and bring you into that process where you keep on asking. And here's the thing about revelation in the kingdom. And, and, and some of you may be a little skittish, a little nervous about that word. Revelation is simply God unveiling something. The Greek word is, if I remember right, is apocalypto. It's where we get the word apocalypse, the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's what that word is, apocalypse. The apocalypto is simply something, a cover, and it's being removed. And so there are things that are so valuable, God keeps them hidden. And if we'll have a hunger, God will begin to un unveil those mysteries. And he'll reveal them to us and he'll bring us along. But we've got to be hungry for those. And we've got to ask God, help me to understand just have that hunger churning in your heart. Lord, I want to grow. I want to grow. I want to understand. A couple of years ago, we did a whole series on just this thought that if you want to grow, you've got to know. You grow by growing in knowledge. Now, you can grow in knowledge and not grow, but you can't grow without growing in knowledge. Just because you know more doesn't mean you've matured, but you certainly cannot mature without growing in your knowledge. Peter puts it this way in 1 Peter chapter 1. Grace and peace be unto you through your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. You want more grace and grace is the substance of the Christian life. You want more of that? When I say it's the substance of the Christian life, it's the stuff God slapped on you to save you. You're saved by grace. But it's also the stuff he puts on you so that you can, you can walk in a supernatural way. And there are things we can do to attract that grace. And if you want to grow in grace, one of the things you need to do is you need to stay hungry. You've got to stay teachable and keep your sense of wonder and always be asking questions because God will unveil his heart to those people. One of the problems with theology is that we get a partial revelation and we look at it as the whole. I am convinced that one of the keys to scriptural wisdom is the idea of rightly dividing. Paul said you must rightly divide the word. We need to rightly divide things out. And when we fail to divide something, when we look at a portion of truth as the whole truth, we inevitably negate another side to that truth. What do I mean by that? The word grace is a good example. Often, if I were to say, give me a definition of grace. Someone throw me out a definition. What is grace? That's a good definition, Roger. Someone behind you said, what? Unmerited favor. And there is truth to that. But here's the problem. When we get that partial revelation of unmerited favor, and I preach that. We get that partial revelation, we can inadvertently think that's the whole revelation, and it can bring us to a misconception, a wrong conclusion, that there's nothing I can do to attract the grace of God. Well, it's unmerited. And so therefore, it brings us to this wrong conclusion that the grace of God is some arbitrary thing. And so therefore, we're just kind of at the mercy of God, and which we are, but not in this way. We think we're at the mercy of God that God is just going to eeny, meeny, miny, mo, catch a believer by the toe. He's the one that gets to go. Boom. Get some grace today, you know. And uh, he just kind of arbitrarily gives grace to some and not to others. But that is not the case. Scripture says this. 
God opposes the but gives grace to the humble. So humility is actually a heart posture which attracts the grace of God. And so in one sense, it's not merited, it's not earned, but if we're not careful, we can think that, well, I have no part to play. It's, it's at a personal level, on an individual level, it's akin to the same misconception we have when we talk about a sovereign move of God. When we do pastor's conferences, pretty much, if you were to sum it up, this is what we're hitting up against. Yes, there, are, there is God's responsibility in a move of God. I'm not concerned about God's responsibility. I can't do that. That's his job. What I'm concerned about is what is the human side to revival and what can I do to attract it? And if I think that a move of God is completely sovereign, then it becomes arbitrary in the, hand, in the heart of God and completely mysterious, and I'm left down here to just twiddle my thumbs until God decides to move. But that is not what the Bible teaches. And so this revelation of God's intervention and God's initiation and salvation by grace and that God, we can't do it, he does it for us, all of that is true, but it's not the whole truth. Because there is, a, there is another side to grace that we can actually posture our heart and attract the grace of God. There's things you and I can do that attract a move of God. There's things that we can do to, to create momentum for revival. It's that whole thing, you know, what comes first, chicken or the egg? What comes first, revival or prayer? Uh-huh. There is a human interaction to this thing. There is a human side. You could say, well, the beginning of revival is prayer and that God ignited his people to pray. I can live with that. But there's not gonna be revival without prayer because there has to be an awakening within the people of God. This word grace that we use, the Greek word is charis, it's where we get the word charismatic. Uh, David Wilkerson said, used to say he didn't like the word charismatic. It sounded like, so, uh, like a breathing problem. Yeah, I'm a charismatic. <laughs> but it really comes from that word grace. The grace gifts. Charis. The root word of that is car, C-H-A-R, which is joy. So the root of grace is joy. This thing of, this, this word charis developed over time. Now, we've talked about this in times past, but I wanna, I wanna revisit this for a moment here this morning because I think there's a, a little nugget for us to take away this morning. Like any word, words have birthdays. I've invented a number. Word, words have birthdays where, you know, they, there's the, the inauguration of a word and then that word tends to evolve over time. And then, you know, words age out because they've, they've just lost their meaning or they become archaic. And the word grace originally meant it had the idea of compassion. Probably the best illustration I could give you was it was the compassion or the empathy that uh, somebody with wealth would feel for a homeless person or someone with a great need. They would look at them and their need, and maybe there's a beggar. They're sitting in their warm castle, looking down their long lane, and by their big, beautiful gate, the ornate gate, at the end, there was a beggar begging for bread. And he looks out from his warm castle as he breaks open a fresh loaf and the aroma reaches him. All of a sudden, he feels compassion for the guy at the end of the, the, his driveway. And that was grace. And that's all it meant. But over time, it began to mean this, this had this added element, and we still use it that way. You know, God's grace, God has grace towards us. He looks at us, and he, there's that compassion. He overlooks our failures and our faults, and he's moved in his heart. That's a wonderful thing. And so it had this added dimension over time of a drawing power. And that grace not only draws us to God, it draws God to us. His compassion, it says Jesus was moved with compassion. Matter of fact, if you want to be led by the Spirit, one of the primary ways you know God is leading you is when your heart is awakened with affection. 
And if you'll follow that affection, I want to tell you, there have been times where I've just felt a sudden affection for someone and called them, and they're like, how did you know to call? I didn't. But I felt affection in my heart. Jesus was, that was great. That was, I sound almost emotional, didn't I? I'm telling this emotional, this music came on. If we could time that, I'll just point at you when I need it again. This, uh, but it, there's this, it, there's this drawing power. We still use it that way. We say that, oh, that dancer, she danced with such grace. What do we mean? It, it grabbed her attention. It drew us to her. There was grace. But then over time, it also evolved into meeting the need of the person you felt compassion for. And so literally, if the wealthy man got out of his house and he went down the long drive and opened the ornate gate and he gave him some of the bread he just broke open in his kitchen, that bread itself put into the hand of the, the hungry man would become grace. It was a concrete, uh, objective uh, meeting of the need of that individual. That was grace. And that we still use it. That it's used that way in scripture. That the grace, it's by his grace we are saved. It meets our need. But then over time there was this fourth dimension of grace. And it became the gratitude of the recipient towards the bestower. He felt grateful it was grace. And we still use it that way. We bow our head. Hey, let's give thanks. Let's say grace. And so there was this gratitude that would bubble up in the person's heart and they would return the grace that was extended to them by gratitude to the bestower. Now, we could go real deep on that this morning. I mean, there's a whole tributary on that that if we mind that out, there is a reason that the grace gifts begin to function within a worship service. Because the grace of God initially towards us is God's compassion. Coming, you know, it, it's in heaven, heaven's response to us is compassion. He begins to move towards us and we move towards him because of the working of grace. Theologians call it grace before saving grace, and it's called prevenient grace. It's the grace of God that's already working in our life before we've received it and surrendered to it. And if you look back at your life, you can recognize the grace of God was already working in you before you got saved, and that's the only way you got saved. And because some people don't believe in that, then they have to say, well, you, you get saved before you have grace and then, you know, it's, it, they try to get around that thing. The fact is, God's grace is operating in you and beginning to draw you to himself. And it's the very thing that drew you, him to you. Working in us, it is the concrete, objective meeting of my need. What did Paul say? His strength is made perfect in my weakness. His grace is sufficient for me. He's, he's correlating grace and power as, as the same thing. The power of God on his life to meet his need was the grace of God working in him. And so the grace, that, that power was the bread meeting his need to live righteously. But grace hasn't really done its full work until we return it back to him in praise. And as we we begin to release it back to him in gratitude. As we worship him, there begins to be a flow of the grace of God. And I, I, I would tell you that the reason some people don't have a continual flow of grace in their life is because the pipe is stuck. God has compassion. God was drawn to them. They were drawn to God. God met their need, but it stopped there. And if you want more grace... Get the grace moving and re re uh, release it back to him in the form of worship. And when we do that, there is a flow. There's a release of grace in the room that we're worshiping him. We're, we're giving back to him what he already gave us. What he, the meeting of our need is sent back to him in the form of our praise. And when we do that, there's a fresh flow because we've made room for the next wave. And that's why the gifts begin to flow. Here's the, here's the wonderful thing. You don't have to limit that dynamic to this room with the worship team. 
You can have that in your personal life every day. Live in gratitude. It's just another way of saying God gives grace to the humble. Because humble people are grateful. Humility, gratitude is a form of humility. Because gratitude doesn't take, doesn't absorb the credit. It deflects it back to God. It's by his grace. It's by his grace. But here's the, here's the danger. Yes, it's by his grace, but it takes your response, your partnering with heaven. There are things in your life that you can actually do to attract the grace of God. Gratitude or humility is one of those things. Let me read you an interesting verse here. Some scholars believe this is where James got this. When James says in James 4, 6, the, the last part of that verse, God opposes the problem, but gives, shows favor or gives grace to the humble. Uh, last week we talked about it as favor. This week we're talking about it as grace. It's really the same substance. It's God's benevolence, God's favor on our life. Listen to what Proverbs chapter 3, verse 34. And again, some scholars believe that this was the verse that James was referring to. He, speaking of God, mocks proud mockers, but shows favor to the humble and the oppressed. Pride tends to make us a mocker, and God will mock those who are mockers. But he extends favor or grace to the humble and the oppressed. Really stuck out to me. There are two criteria, two scenarios here in this verse that says we'll release the favor of the grace of God in our life. One is an external circumstance. One is an internal heart attitude. The external circumstance is oppression. If you are in a situation where you're being oppressed, whatever that looks like, and that doesn't necessarily mean that somebody, some human entity is doing you wrong. It can certainly mean that, but it doesn't need to be reduced to that. You are in a situation where the external circumstance is oppressive in your life. There's something about that scenario because of who God is. Independently of how you posture your heart and who, how you are, God is moved with compassion and grace towards that situation. When you are under the gun, when you're under pressure, when you are oppressed, you are being pressed down. God is attracted to that. As scripture says this, he is near the brokenhearted. Why? Because that's just how he is. He can't help himself. That is the goodness of God, the benevolence of God. But there's a secondary criteria, and it says to those who are humble. See, it's not just your outward circumstance, but your inward attitude towards the circumstance that will attract God. You can be oppressed and not have the, you can have the external circumstance, fail to have the inner heart attitude and remain oppressed. But if you will meet that internal criteria of humility, it attracts the heart of God. And we need to realize that, that humility is the pathway to attracting God. And one of the main manifestations of humility is worship. That I'm going to give you the honor, do your name. I'm going to acknowledge the goodness. I'm going to deflect praise back to you. I'm not going to take credit for those things. If someone gives you a compliment, well, thank you. I love how Bill Johnson used to say it. He said, someone does a special song in church, you go up to him. Oh, that was so wonderful. Oh, it wasn't me, it was the Lord. He said, it wasn't that good. Yeah. <laughs> said, you need to be able to, hey, you know, you partnered with heaven, that's fine. said, if that's always your answer, you're going to kind of have a dilemma when you get to the, to the, the throne of judgment and, they, and the Lord says, well done. Oh, it wasn't me, it was you. Yeah. The Lord is going to bestow favor and rewards. So there is an element of human interaction to this. And if our theology doesn't have a place for that, if out of humility, we get into false humility and we erase our role, then what we do is we don't know the pathway to attract God's presence. We don't know the pathway to attract God's favor. And we leave that a mystery to those who need it most. 
So we need to embrace the human side and there's things that I can do. I can humble myself before God and it will attract his presence. Now here's the catch. God's easy to humble himself with. True humility will show up in your human relationships too. I remember the one time Kathy and I had a fight. 31 years ago, that one time. And uh, we were, I don't, I don't even remember what it was about, but I remember what the Lord spoke to me. Oh my goodness. We were, we were just at odds with each other. I was working at Teen Challenge. My office was in the downstairs. She, we were living in the building. So I went up at lunchtime, or it was that morning. We were just kind of at odds with each other. And so I came downstairs. I was just irritated with her. We just were irritated. So I went to the director and I said, hey, would you pray for me? I'm kind of having an attitude towards my wife. He laid hands on me, prayed for me. I felt no relief. I went to another counselor, Joe Zinner. Joe, would you pray for me? I just feel just irritated with my wife. And I felt no relief. And I went to the Lord. I said, God, I don't feel any relief. And the Lord clearly spoke to me. And I know it was Jesus because I would not have thought of this. He said, go humble yourself in the sphere of your difficulty. In other words, quit humbling yourself with everybody you're not mad at and go humble yourself to the person you are mad at. Because that's what takes humility. It didn't take any humility for me to go to another guy and say, hey, would you pray for me? My wife is just really being unreasonable. That's probably how I framed it. I don't remember. So at lunchtime, I remember, said, hey, Kathy, let's go for a walk. I remember this. She probably doesn't. And uh, we're up for a walk, and I said, Kathy, I've been a jerk. And she said, yes, you have. And I remember I just bit my tongue. And I thought, I'm not going to respond. And just a few seconds of not responding, that thing lifted, and we were good. I had to humble myself with her. Humility will show up in our human relationships. It's easy to humble ourselves with God because he's always right. But humbling ourselves with other people is a key. And it will attract the grace of God. It will attract the favor of God. In the kingdom, the way up is down. When God wants to promote someone, he takes them down to build in them the character so they can handle when they go up. If you look in Joseph's life, it says Joseph, he has this dream where the sun and the moon and the stars are bowing to him. That's a pretty heady dream for a kid. And he's arrogant enough to share it with his whole family and they don't appreciate it. So what does it say? It explicitly says in the text, and Joseph went down to Egypt. I think it even says he went down to Potiphar's house and down in the prison. And then he ascended to the throne. The way in the kingdom is down before you go up. And if you will humble yourself, God will give you grace and favor. And you will find the favor. His shining face is on you. And so we need to be open to the Lord putting his finger on those things and walk in humility. Look for opportunities to be humble. Here's the thing. We know James says that God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble, but so do people. You know, people will resist proud people. You think about it. When you get somebody that their favorite subject is themselves, and they're all, you, it, it feels like this competition all the time. They're always like wanting to toot their own horn and it's like you just don't want to be around them. But when there's people who are humble and gracious and their attention is externally oriented rather than on themselves, there's something that draws you to them. It's grace. It's that drawing power of humility. And the grace of God in our life will manifest in humility that will Manifest with people and manifest in our praise towards God. And when it does that, we've reached, you reach another level of grace where there begins to be a flow in your life. That the initial grace of salvation, God's affection and drawing towards you, and you're receiving that delivering power, as you begin to manifest that back, 
there's a fresh flow of grace in your life. There's things we can do to attract heaven. John, Pastor John, why don't you come on up here? John gave me a word this morning. I wanted him to share before we go into communion. Yeah. Along the... Along those lines, um, I, it's so interesting because I, d I didn't know what he was going to preach on and just sitting here, it's been kind of interesting. And so, um, as I was sitting here today, um, I feel like the Lord wants to highlight to us any area in our life along these lines where we would be unequally yoked to a negative uh, in our life. And what Pastor Dave has been sharing today is it's like I see God just flipping the script. And so there's people in the room today where your situation, you're seeing it wrong. And it's got you unequally yoked to what is a negative. And what Pastor Dave has been laying out by the Spirit of God today is literally the convergence of God giving you new lenses to see that situation bring you out of that. Uh, James 1-2 says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect results so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And the interesting thing is, is I feel like there's people in the room today, many of us, and I'm going to use this phrase, mature believers, where there's this thing in your life that won't move. And God is inviting us in to this process through humility, seeing grace in a new light where it's going to sound like this. God's going to ask something of you to do. You've been praying, God, will you move this? Will you move this? Will you move this? Will you heal this? And God's saying, I have something for you that I want you to see. And when he begins to talk to you, he's also going to require of something of you, along with probably some practical steps, but he's going to ask you to enter into joy before the thing moves. And that's yeah. gratitude, yeah. Yes. generosity. And here's the deal. God is going to, he's, there's something significant about today, being in this room today. God is, he's giving a strategy on how to come out of being victims and being victorious, yeah. Yeah. rather yes. being victorious. Yeah. So that when we look at and see a trial, we actually go, Here's an opportunity to enter into joy and for me to go through the process of lacking in nothing. And if we will do that, if we'll give him our yes, this is what's so exciting about looking out at each one of you and not even knowing what that thing is. If you will give God a yes today, he's going to bring you out from that thing it may not move today, but your mindset's about to shift, and you are going to find yourself entering into the peace of God. That's the journey that Pastor Dave was talking about, that before you get the thing you need to move, God wants to show you part of the process and journey, and it's peace and joy no matter what you're facing. And it's, it's the difference of long haul. Again, he's already preached the message. I'm so sorry. But seriously... We can, the enemy can have inroads into our lives when we look at the need or the thing we're facing as an event. And God is saying, there's a process that you can engage in each and every time. And the powers of hell have no authority against yeah, that. Yeah. And it's right there in yeah. James 1 and 2. And one of those things is the starting process today. Today, as we move into however Pastor Dave wants to do this, one thing I am assured of is this. When we take communion, communion today, God wants to exchange mindsets and how we're seeing things. He wants to lift off old ways of thinking. He wants to bring joy in the midst of our trials because at the end of the day, if we enter into this posture of humility, it's like this. Funny, I told him over here this morning, I've had moments where we've been in different ministry moments and the Lord will bring joy into the room. Yeah. And I would love to tell you that I pick up on that immediately and I just enter in. But there's been times specifically regarding when the Lord releases joy where I've had to consciously decide I'm going to enter into this. Yeah. And then he takes that little seed and does something profound. I'll look back and I'll go, why was any part of me resistant to that? 
because he's so good at inviting us into that. But there's a choice to be made. And I feel like this is a significant moment for strategy for ourselves, but then the people in your own life that are facing these things, and it's a different way of entering into breakthrough. Yeah. One of the hallmarks will be, you know you're on the right path if right in the middle of the trial, you have joy, you have peace. The process of humility that he's talking about is us signing up to allow the Lord to give us that right in the middle of the thing. We cannot get that if we're unequally yoked to a negative. So today, whatever the negative may be, as we take communion, God wants to transform that thing in our mind and in our heart into a positive outcome by the way we see how he's going to operate in our lives as we navigate that. And the end of the story is, is the healing will come. The deliverance will happen. The breakthrough will come. The provision will happen. All of that will happen. But God has a process. There's a depth and a richness that he's wanting to give each one of us. And it sounds like this. When things get hard, I know where to go. I know where to position my heart. I know how to strengthen myself in the Lord. And that's the humility that pastor's talking about. Sorry yeah, to that, Thank you, John. That, that oppression, those... Those oppressive situations, if we'll humble ourselves in the midst of that, begin to praise him, begin to grab the joy. There's some of you this morning, this is the word of the Lord. Let me sum this up. This is the word of the Lord to you. God's working is not arbitrary. There are things you can do to attract his moving. If you need to have him move in your situation, begin to express humility in your human relationships and in your relationship with him by expressing worship in the midst of it. And you're gonna begin to see, see a lot of us, we have this idea that all, all, you know, God is sovereign and what that means is that he's orchestrating everything and that's not what that word means. No more, when, it, when it, we call a king a sovereign king, we just mean that that individual, that king, is somebody who has the right to rule. Doesn't mean he does every, he, he manipulates everything. And God does not manipulate your behavior. You have to make your own decisions. If you do not have the elements for communion, I'm going to ask you right outside this door, there are some. If you need one, just raise your hand and we've got some ushers. They're coming with some right now. We're going to receive communion and we're going to do this as an act of humility before the Lord. Covenant is the legal guarantee of favor. When we enter into covenant, we bind ourselves to another. This is a covenantal act. This is a covenantal ceremony. Just like a marriage ceremony is a covenantal ceremony, so is communion. Now, if you've not accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, I'm going to ask you not to receive communion this morning. If you have received him, you're more than welcome to partake this morning. But before you partake of communion, you need to surrender your life to Jesus. You can do that very simply right now. Just by turning your heart towards him and saying, Jesus, I want you. Take my life. Forgive me of my sins. I receive you now. And you can begin your life in God with communion. But it's a holy thing, so it's not something to be done just casually. And it's not something to be done by someone who doesn't know Jesus. And so, we're going to receive this communion this morning. Scripture says that on the night that Jesus was taken, he took, he honored the Passover meal with his disciples. It was the first Lord's Supper. He reinterpreted this Passover meal to be a Christian rite. And it says he took the bread. First he took the bread and he looked at his disciples and he broke it and he said, this is my body broken for you. Just snap that little thing this morning. This is my body broken for you. Take this in remembrance of me. Now, when we, before we do that, I see some of you are ahead of me. Just wait now. It, uh, there's healing in his broken body, okay? Jesus had his body broken so that you and I could be healed emotionally, physically, and spiritually. This morning, Kate McGovern came up to me and she had a word from the Lord about healing retinas. 
that God wants to restore eyes. And if that's you this morning, I want you to just raise your hand. If you need a restoration in a retina, okay, anybody else? I want you to look around those hands raised. Just raise your hand high. And those around you, just, I want us to lay hands on them as we receive this this morning. We're gonna believe God. And God wants to restore your physical sight, but it's also a sign of God wanting to get vision out of the way out of the circumstances we're in. It's not an arbitrary thing. There's a pathway out, and the pathway out is to respond to him. So, Father, we thank you that you gave your son. You so loved the world that you gave your only begotten son. And, Jesus, we thank you that no man took your life. You freely gave it. Now, Holy Spirit, I'm asking that you would release the goodness of that act of the whipping post right now into human bodies. In Jesus' name, be healed. Lord, I ask that you'd release healing into these eyes right now. God is a sign and a wonder of what you're doing, of just what Pastor John said this morning. We thank you for it. Let's receive the bread. Scripture says, then Jesus took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. The word covenant literally means to cut. Jesus was cut for you and I. His blood was shed. Scripture says the life is in the blood and the life that was in Jesus' blood was a life that satisfied every requirement that God had for man. Let me say it again. The life is in the blood and the life that is in Jesus' blood is different than any other blood precisely because his life had met every righteous requirement God ever had for man. It says very clearly that once made perfect, Jesus lived his life. He was being perfected by the things he suffered, Hebrews chapter 5 says. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation. Then he could offer that life to his father on the cross. When he said, it is finished, that's what he was talking about. The completed life that's in this cup. I want you to hold it up. You have a completed life, a perfected life. A life that satisfies every requirement that God has for man in this cup. Let's receive it. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to help more people hear this message, you can get the word out by subscribing and sharing it on social media. If you'd like to support the ministries of Heartland Church, you can do so at heartlandchurchonline.com slash give.